and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare. My name is Katherine Troyer, and joining me is Anthony Tresca. Hey there! This is a podcast devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you be joining us today for our discussion over 1992's classic Candyman. I find myself, and we we talked about this very briefly before we started recording, I find myself liking this film almost despite itself, despite some of, Mm -hmm. I think, what are are some very serious problems in terms of um, representations of race, but also just in terms of, like, narrative and and some of the things that I, I often criticize other films for. I'm willing to forgive in this film, and I haven't quite figured out why that is the case, but ultimately... I really rather like this film. Yeah, I think I, I agree with everything you've said. This is also not the first time I've seen this film. I, I remember when I first watched it, I found it kind of boring, actually. And I, I, I was like, eh, I guess it's got some interesting things to talk about. But overall, I was not consistently entertained. And I didn't, I don't know. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I thought it was okay. I really liked the score. I remember that even from the first time around just really loving the score, but I wasn't super impressed with anything else. However, on this rewatch, uh, I'm thinking about it in a very different light. For me, one of the things I really like about this film is the amount of conversation that it, Mm -hmm. it always delivers. Yeah. I'm thinking very specifically about when we taught this film in our home and horror class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, you know, at, at the point in the spring 2020 where everyone was pivoting to remote teaching for a higher education and all forms of education. And right. it was it was really due hard to, COVID, to get yeah. due to COVID <laughs> and, and like 2020 um, being just the worst year ever. And, you know, understandably everyone had so many other things on their mind and and there was a real dip in in the conversation level of of pre um you know online pivot and post online pivot but the one sort of like weird blip on the radar was our discussion of Candyman. Mm-hmm. um it, I, I would argue that it was actually maybe one of the best conversations that our class had had the entire semester long because there's just something about this film that that pulls you in and and makes you have questions and makes you have thoughts and makes you just have things that you need to say. Well, and, and I, mean, that's... I, I think it's because it's it's ultimately, and I think I do know why I liked it. I, I why, in spite of itself, I like this movie so much. It's because I think it's oh, discussing such an interesting subject matter, uh, and I think it particularly relates to university uh, students and anyone involved in academia because it is about academics in a city doing academic things and academics are in a horror film so yeah i i don't think it's super surprising that people at a at a university in a big city like where where we taught this class really related and had a lot of things to say about this film because i mean everybody recognizes like oh yeah there are certain neighborhoods in the big cities that the city has just let go and it's just totally been people in those communities have been left to just fend for themselves and if it, there's its own kind of martial law there in a sense and 
it's very recognizable. Yes, I think I think you're absolutely correct. And and the fact that this film and the themes that is it, it is exploring remain just as, if not more, relevant thirty years after the fact, um, you know, is 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 I think one of the reasons that this film just remains so important and so valuable and it's one of the reasons why you know i'm so devastated that that the somewhere between a, a remake and an adaptation um you know of of Candyman has been postponed for uh, another year because i i really would be interested in seeing where we go next considering that everything about this film uh the 1992 film still feels so very relevant mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's reading looking back at history and any any history and all, obviously the art that was made in that history it really is kind of sad how little has changed and how issues that were being brought up in in the 90s regarding race and regarding this the disparity that exists and this i mean this really is talking about the systematic uh, inequality that is, exists and perpetuates in our society and how that's, I mean, still here 28 years later when we're talking about it in 2020. That's an excellent segue, the, this idea of looking at the sort of trajectory or history of things. Um, for the scholarship that I I want to make sure that we use as a way of, of framing and thinking about Candyman. And this comes from the excellent book, uh, Horror Noir, which was also made into a documentary on Shudder. Um, mm-hmm. But the book Horror Noir, uh, subtitle of Blacks in American Horror Films from the 1890s to Present by Dr. Robin Means Coleman, uh, is a fantastic book, just sort of period. Uh, but one of the things that I really appreciate about the way that she explores her subject is that she gives us a really clear framework for how we can understand uh, what it means to say that blacks have been in American horror films since the 1890s. And and she says that there's really two ways that we can understand things. Um, and we can, we can have blacks in horror as one sort of category or bucket, and then black horror as a second category or bucket. And we've talked about a film that, that she would define as, as, as black horror, and that is very specifically Get Out, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to be a film that is produced um, and written and, and features in a very significant way um, black identities and, and black experiences uh, in a way that is different from where she's going to put Candyman, right? So she's going to put Candyman into the blacks in horror um, category. And and largely because, and I, I agree with her assessment, um, that although Candyman kind of plays with this idea of almost giving us a sort of like uh, monster with a heart of gold, right? All he wants to do is, is find love. Um, he he is killing black women. He is killing black people. And, and so she says that really a lot of this film is, is not so much about a black cultures or experiences as it is. And this is a quote from her in the end, this is a movie about celebrating white womanhood. Helen rejects Candyman's love and vengefully Candyman is prepared to add another black victim to his belt. The infinite Anthony burning him alive in a garbage heap. Uh, And then she says down a little bit further, as a white woman, she can do what Candyman would not. 
terrorize those on the other side of the tracks. She's a woman scorned, exacting her revenge on Trevor. And so, again, if we have black horror and blacks in horror, she says that a lot, this film and a lot of films that are coming out in the, the 90s are going to be more of the blacks in horror, where it's not that he... Uh, Candyman doesn't have a significant role. It's not that um, we're not looking at things, but at the end of the day, uh, this is not really a film about about black people so much as it is a film about Helen and Helen's sort of like forays um, on the other side of the tracks and the ways that she um, is f- perhaps at first punished, but then ultimately um, like reified, right? Uh, yeah, for, immortalized. Yeah, she's uh... she's she's made into a goddess-like figure um, for. For having ultimately sort of intruded where maybe she didn't belong to. Yeah, I mean, that's the key difference of, like, who's the story about? I mean, Get Out, there's no denying that that is a story about black problems, particularly about the lead in that film. Um, And in this film, yeah, you're exactly right. It's not Candyman's story. Candyman is a player in Helen's story. It's still ultimately, yeah. It's it's a beautiful distinction I think she makes, and it is... incredibly important to think about when thinking about Candyman and what, if that is, if the story is being framed from ultimately Helen's perspective, what that that you can ultimately take away from this film about race. Because ultimately it still is from a white person's perspective on race. And that's a very tricky subject. It is. It's an incredibly tricky subject. And it's one that, that I think is, is, why this film is, is something that you and I both say that we like sort of despite itself, right? Because in terms of of its portrayals of, of race, we have this sort of exotification, right, of, of, of Cabrini Green. Like, ooh, yeah. isn't that interesting? And how scary is that? And, and, and also, you know, we have... It's, it's very strange. I mean, you can't ignore this, the messaging of, like, uh, when we open on the lecture. Anytime you see a lecture in a horror movie, you know that that has to be important to the main themes of the film. Uh, that, and that goes not just for lectures. It, it's just any, like, Shakespeare plays, too. I'm, ta- I'm talking about Ari Aster there. Yeah, no, I, I, have, I have a theory that if you want to be a good teacher... There are like you should learn from horror movie teachers because they always make it timely and relevant, right? It's and they true. get like right to the nugget. And so you're right. We from the <laughs> moment we have that lecture, you're like, okay, these are the themes that are going to be important. Yeah, and so the themes in this uh, that they're established in that lecture, it's like this is these are urban fears. This is like that crocodile example. It's uh, the the alligators are in the sewers, and it's like no, that's just obviously that's not true. Uh, it's just an urban legend. It reveals what urban people who live in urban cities fear. So this movie is going to be about what ur- urban people uh, people fear. And it's interesting who the villain then is in this film. And it's it's interesting that, that again, you know, um, for all intents and purposes, Candyman, based on his backstory, right, should be the protector of his people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was... He was tortured because of his love for a white woman by white men, um, and yet he spends his time terrorizing this black community of Cabrini Green. Uh, and so I think you're right that what we see here is this really sort of convoluted message about about what is to be the source of fear uh, as an urban legend, and it, it's strange because it should really be different 
if you're um, a resident of Cabrini Green versus if you're on the other side of the tracks. But we realize that that in large part, it's the same thing, right? It's the fear of this um, this person who, quote, doesn't know his place, right? Yeah. Um, this person who is in a liminal space, because how much of this is about mirrors and, and bathrooms, right? And like spaces that are, are in between. Um, yeah. And that's what makes him scary, right? Is that he lurks in the in-between places. He is unhappy, um, you know, being where he's, quote, again, quote, supposed to be. Um, and that becomes a, a source of fear, um for everyone, which is a really sort of weird and intriguing way to, to present this idea of, of what we should be afraid of. I, mean, I think it makes sense given when it was released in 1992, which would be right around the time when there was a lot of significant crime legislation going through uh, the American Congress and on the, sitting on the desk of the presidency, and there were lots of stop and frisk policies being put into place, this perpetuation of this black-on-black -black crime as being the most significant cause that, lead, that led to uh, the degradation of black lives in the society, rather than actually addressing any systematic inequality that has been perpetuated by the institutions uh, that built America. So I think it makes sense that Candyman can only be a surface-level uh, analysis or discussion of race because it's not actually addressing the actual problem itself so much as it is just talking about it in in the talking points of the 90s which we now yes. i think are real have i not everyone has realized obviously is and nothing has changed so but and, it's harder to ignore now yes and and what i think is really interesting about what you just said is that um what this film kind of does is it says you know uh if this is something they fear shouldn't you fear it twice as much right so that it's not like okay well what this group of people fear fears is systematic racism um but what we're gonna fear is is the candy man instead it's if they're scared of him how could we um on the other side of the tracks not be even more terrified mm -hmm. um and and that's a weird um to go to that kind of mirror thing right like you know it's like seeing the re a reflection of a reflection um it, that's not it just removes you that much further from what I think the film could be doing and and I think would be doing uh, today. And yeah. and the the other thing that I think is is worth bringing up because you you mentioned you know that we have to ground this film and and when it was released and that is is that you know we do have that real life example um, of the the woman who was in her apartment it was a locked room um, and called the cops. And uh, actually, her neighbor called the cops uh, because she heard, you know, screaming. And it turns out that, that that idea that there could be a panel between apartments, right? Someone actually broke in and the cops didn't come, right? And there was even that, like, heartbreaking um, sort of uh, 911 call where they say... Um, it's okay, the elevator is fixed, right? As though that would be the reason that the cops might not want to come um, rather than them not coming because that, that neighborhood was sort of essentially on, on a sort of blackout list of, you know, we just don't go there. Um, and, and so this this film may be problematic, but it's, it's an accurate reflection of a very real and explicit set of interactions between, um, quote, us and them, uh, us and the other. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that just speaks as to why this film can't be black horror. It, yeah. It is, it ha- features a prominent black figure in horror, very prominent character. It's not like, it's not like they're just lip ser- paying lip service to black characters, but they're black characters in white America, and it's framed from the perspective of white America, and I think we can get, and not we can take this out of the abstract and put it into the concrete through the role of Helen. I mean, Helen is an incredibly, um, she's an incredible example of this. I mean, she's who her story is told from, and I was talking to you about this before we started recording. Uh, Helen is a deeply unlikable character from, for the same reasons that the, uh, to reference an act, bl- actual black horror, the, car- the uh, white people in Get Out are deeply unlikable because they're the type of white people who think that uh, Obama, just Obama gets elected, that's racism's gone. Or, oh, I'm a better, I'm not a racist. It's like that line where Helen is like, isn't it weird that uh, black people die over here and the police don't come, but when a one white woman does, it's fine. And she's just like, oh, that is really bad, isn't it? Yeah. Let's not, let's ignore that though. It's a throwaway line. Right, she says that, but then, um, you know, the moment that her her sort of rights are impinged upon, right? Like, oh, heaven forbid. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and so you're absolutely correct that that... And she does that repeatedly. It's not just that one time, right, with her no. friend Bernadette. She's constantly putting her friend in jeopardy long before, you know, she actually ends up dying. Mm-hmm. Um, she keeps putting her friend in jeopardy because she assumes that because she doesn't want to see the world as as racially uh, problematic in American culture because she doesn't want to see... Um, disparity or whatever it is she she doesn't want to see uh you know that 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 means everyone will will see the world the way she wants to see it um, and i mean and, they you, she even takes advantage of when she's going into that apartment complex of the relationship of the police to the black community in america where she's like don't worry they think we're cops they're not going to follow us they're not going to do anything to us because she knows that they that the uh, black community and the police don't have a particularly good relationship. There are lots of numerous examples of police brutality, excessive force on predominantly the black community. And so she's using that knowledge to just help her cause. Yeah. It's, it, it's just casual racism at its finest. It's not overt. It's, not, it's nothing like the, it's like the difference between the Jim Crow laws in the South uh, and gerrymandering in the North. They're both examples of racism. Just one is more overt and one is a little bit uh, more well-kept. But the result is still the denial of power to blacks in America. One of the ways that I see that manifesting itself is is through her inability to understand the significance of borders or of, of like what is my space or your space until it it proves inconvenient to her. So she has no problems traipsing into, first off, a crime scene. But second, she really just kind of walks into Anna Marie's, uh, you know, home. And then she, like, starts helping her with the baby, like, completely unwarranted. And this yeah. is before she, you know, like, goes in and kills the dog. But the moment that she walks into her home and sees Trevor's, you know, um, young student girlfriend uh, person you know she gets really offended admittedly she should because that's super gross and you know like just as a word to the wise if you want to be a good person you probably cannot 
start living with someone else while your wife has been committed within a month. Um, but also, there's a, <laughs> it's just a little strange that it's the university professor with the university student, always Ugh, so creepy gross. and disgusting. Don't yeah. do that. Yeah, exactly. But but you can tell when she goes in there um, that part of what is she finds so offensive, right, is not just that Trevor's hooking up with this this girl because she kind of knew that all along, right? Mm-hmm. It's that this girl is laying claim to her space, yeah. right? It's, and and so and because so much of this film is about this mirroring effect, um, you know, it even says like, "Oh, look, did you know that this complex is exactly the same as that complex?" Um, because so much of this is about mirroring, we can't help but but look at the fact that Helen has two very different standards depending on which side of the mirror she's on. And I mean, I think that that this discussion of borders is particularly relevant in any film that is discussing race in any serious manner. And I think ultimately, yeah, you're right, it does come down in a bear, being in a very, very weird place that uh, the black communities should leave their problems over there. And, uh, and Helen's perfectly fine using her white privilege to invade those black spaces and break down the borders there. She's really happy to do that. But that same level of border breaking this cannot happen in her, in her white spaces. When we look at the issue of place, which is one of the things I personally find so interesting about this film, since I, I like to do things with place, um, I, I find it particularly interesting that our first introduction to the Candyman legend is even further removed from Helen's world by being set clearly in, in the suburbs, right? Uh, right? You know, we have uh, pretty much white picket fence, um, I think it is actually a white picket fence, but we have this this white home. Um, you know, we have a babysitter, which um, implies that you know the the parents are having to leave to go to something, right? Like they would if they lived in the suburbs, having to leave to go to the city to interact or whatever. Um, it obviously implies a socioeconomic status where you can afford to have someone take care of your uh, child. But I think it's really interesting, and I'm not entirely sure if I know what to do with the fact that. Um, a film that is so much set in in the cityscape begins our our narrative in in suburbia. I mean, I think it could possibly be speaking to a phenomenon that uh, is known by city planners of like white flight at night, where uh, in the inner city, the where it's about an equal amount of whites and blacks work inside the inner cities. However, at night, it's majority of black communities who still live in that city, and they're in the low-income housing sectors, the dilapidated sections of those cities, whereas you see a huge flight of white people at night going back out to the suburbs, retreating from the problems that are left in the city. Which I think that then this that, that opening could then speak to the fact that we are not going to be fleeing away from the problems we're going right into the problems yeah that's that's really interesting um i think it it also helps us to or it also helps to complicate or tries to help complicate the the sense of binaries in the film right like Mm because it's trying to set up this idea that you know he can he can come to anyone he can come to any home um all you have to do is call him and and you know he will be there um but 
but then quickly again you know the film even as i think it tries to destroy some of these binaries as Candyman, you know victim or villain yes right as, as helen ultimately victim or hero yes right i i think that that this film this is one of the places where i think the film i like it despite the fact that it's it really struggles to break down the binaries uh, that I think it's trying to break down by setting them up, right? It makes such a point of saying, like, here's this side and here's this side. But it's trying to say, like, but but it's permeable, right? Um, that these boundaries can be crossed. And I'm not sure it's always capable of doing so, but I think that that opening scene is trying to set us up for this sense of, of placelessness, right? That this yeah. could happen anywhere. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that's that's definitely true. And, I mean, I think that that in a way does show probably how progressive the film was for the 90s and at least it was trying and again i feel like a lot of the things that it does wrong is just because is and that we perceive that it did wrong is doing wrong when it comes to how it handles race is just because our the conversation in america around race has changed so much since the 90s things that were acceptable back in the 90s are not acceptable in the slightest anymore and so I think it's just also, as much as the film does have a lot of these problems when it comes to race, a lot of them are not necessarily problems that are innate to the film itself, so much as it's a crit our critique of the, the society that existed in the 90s and the culture that Candyman was in. I think that's a, a good way to to think about this film, particularly as it, as it deals with issues of race. Um and, and I think that, again, one of the reasons I'm so excited for the, the new Candyman is that I'm, I'm hoping that we'll see this sort of tr um, progression and moving from the, the blacks in horror to the black horror. Mm -hmm. But I, I do, you know, I'll, I do worry that, um, you know, there, there is a small potential for the film to still remain in that blacks in horror um, category precisely because as you said before you know we haven't completely eradicated all of these systems of oppression in an article looking at uh, the short story the forbidden um, by Clive Barker which is what uh, Candyman is based on Adam and I apologize in advance for slaughtering his last name Ochonicki. He refers to an idea uh, by legal scholar Michelle Alexander who describes this evolution in the United States from a, states from a racial caste system based entirely on exploitation, slavery, to one based largely on subordination, Chim Crow, to one defined by marginalization, mass incarceration. And, and I think that what's really interesting is, is that we, we kind of see all of that playing out to varying degrees in Candyman. Um, yeah. And, you know, just in Candyman's story himself. Uh, but we also interestingly kind of see... Um, an attempt, whether intentional or not, to have a parallel path for Helen. So obviously she's not she's not forced to be a slave, right? And obviously she's a white woman, and we've already talked about the fact that she's a privileged white woman at that. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I, I appreciate about this film um, is that it, it really is aware of, of the fact that she is still a marginalized individual within academia within her house and home uh within the sort of larger framework of of intellectual sort of ambitions right there's the scene where she is um 
where the the guy with the gross long hair like mansplains to her uh who Candyman is he's like do you know anything about Candyman and she's and she you know mockingly says no and then he like goes on for several minutes um but also you know the there's a lot of discussion about Trevor steal you know like sharing things with his class before she's ready for them to um and so I think it's really interesting that this film really does look at this this cycle um and and acknowledges that just because we're not at the darkest moments anymore doesn't mean that we're at the good moments right we're still in a a place of marginalization it's just a different form of it i just and i think i think that that is i have two thoughts about that i i think the first one is i think that that is another reason why it can't be black horror because it's it's very much equating uh this struggle the the struggle that women do still face. I mean, there's no there's no denying that that women are still in a marginalized place, but they're different struggles. The Absolutely. marginalization of uh, against women and the marginalization and oppression that it's faced against the black black communities all across America are very different struggles. And by choosing to focus and equate Helen's struggle as a white woman to the struggle of the black community, it does really kind of show which side the film is t- taking a stance on and which oppression it's saying is mm, more important to be featured, I think. Which is leads into why it can't be classified as black horror and why I think it ultimately does... It makes Helen so unlikable and it kind of comes off as feeling like the elite white people talking about race. Which is very different than when act- black horror talks about black experiences and has commentary on race. And you, you said that, you know, it, it prioritizes sort of her her struggle. Um, and I think to go back to something we were talking about at the beginning, right? Like, why is Candyman uh, terrorizing um, the black community? There, There's a way in which this film seems to suggest that, yes, we have these two groups of people that have been marginalized, but one of them, uh, the, the Cabrini Green of the world, um, it's just kind of to be expected. Of course there's going to be a Candyman. Of course there's going to be a drug um, pusher who, uh, you know, like has a, is carving into small children. Um, but heaven forbid, right, that, that we have this, this monstrous experience uh, with this other group, right? Because that's, that has the potential to be threatened right where so it, it yeah it, it absolutely just depicts the cabrini green side of things as though that's just the way the world is and yeah. then the helen story is but oh no isn't it so traumatic that that it's such that she's being you know constantly uh, beleaguered by this this threat and and that's a really weird sort of problematic as you said message I mean, to be articulating yeah. yeah it's like a it's a it's showing where which issue the film thinks is more important. And in a film that also wants you to have serious conversations, I think about race, because I don't think I don't think anyone involved in this film actively thinks they're racist. However, their prioritization of the issues is a little bit dicey when it comes to race, admittedly. I'm not it's certainly not overt racism, but it is certainly not actively critiquing systematic racism and the entire wider culture that exists and to oppress and keep down blacks in America. To go back to 
to Coleman, right? Uh, this is a movie about celebrating white womanhood. Yeah. Um, and it's celebrating it by first putting it in danger and then by showing us, uh, you know, that she figuratively, if not literally, rises above, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's very similar to this, like, ongoing conversation in, in America about, like, oh, the suburbans are being threatened. Uh, and you don't even have to finish that sentence, but it's so seeped into our culture that we know who, when people are making that claim, which groups they're talking about, which groups are being threatened and which groups are doing the threatening. Because it's just, it's another way of the us versus them mentality that we see. And yeah, it's a, that, it's a harmful mentality. It's a harmful yeah. way to see the world. And yet, what I find really interesting is, is if you've been listening to us so far, which you all have, um, I'm not sure that you would feel like Anthony and I like the film, right? Based on, on what we've been saying, but there's so much that is, is fascinating. First, just the conversation that it, that engenders the conversation that we've had, but there's other things that I think are so smartly done. Like one of the things I find very fascinating is the overlay of, um, religious ideology and and concepts over over this from the music which which very much sounds um like a, a church choir um to to Candyman's constant discussion about his congregation mm-hmm. and and the sort of you know that final shot of um helen that that feels very much like she is has been a martyr right and she's gone through a moment of transcendence and, and all that stuff right this is a film that that is it's the film that keeps on giving, right? Like it, it, there are so many sort of different layers that it packs on. And what I, what I enjoy about it is, is that it's not offering that grab bag of does religion scare you? We're good. We have some of that in there. Really. It's just saying it's more exploring an idea that, that actually the film and the filmmakers really wouldn't have been aware of. And that is um, Kimberly Crenshaw's concept of, of intersectionality, right? Where it's saying that you know, we, we are located, um, at the center of all of these different moments of identity. And, and it doesn't do it right because um, Kimberly Crenshaw was looking at black feminism, right? So if this was really a film about intersectionality, it would have been about Bernadette and Anne-Marie. Um, but it is a film that seems to understand that, that that thing that haunts us at night, the thing that we are terrified about when it comes to urban legends that seem so simple on the surface, obviously you're afraid of alligators. Well, that's not actually what you're afraid of. Um, you're really afraid of um, nature, uh, a system that you don't understand, the sewer system, um, you know, exotic things being brought in, right? I mean, there's so many other things. And so I, I like the fact that Candyman proves that urban legends are at their most complicated when they seem to be at their simplest. Yeah, and I think this idea of religion and the religious overlay relates back to this idea by brought up by Emil Durkheim, the sociologist of the sacred, and what and how and in this essay that he wrote about um, the elementary forms of religious life, talked about how religion is present in all cultures, and uh, essentially religion is really just the dividing up into sacred and not sacred, so that cultures know what to orient themselves around to preserve so that they can uphold and preserve the sacred and i think a lot of this movie is it's very smart in that it's a framing around religious ideas and this notion of like 
this is the sacred, what's happening to the sacred right now. These things that we as society have collectively decided are good and sacred, are they all good and sacred? Maybe not. Are we going to try to project, protect them? That This film certainly does seem to want to try to do that and uphold it. I've looked at, and, we, and, and um, specifically with the film Martyrs in an article, and we've talked about before, this connection between um, the, the framework used to understand the sacred, to understand transcendence, and, and the amount of, of taboo and um, suffering and destabilization that, that happens within those frameworks. Um, and I think that what, what's interesting is that without ever doing so explicitly, the the film allows us to begin to see that some of these ways that we understand racial identities um is informed by how we understand like you said issues of of the sacred and and religion and so one of the thing one of the ways in which i think this film succeeds as a narrative about about race is by showing us that race is not simply an issue of of appearance mm -hmm. right it is a geographic it is a socioeconomic, it is a religious, um, it is a cultural, uh, it is all of these different layers built on top of each other um, in a way that the moment you try to pull one out, right, like it's like the, a, a Jenga, right, like the moment you pull one out, the whole thing's going to come tumbling down because it's all built on top of each other. Yeah, and I, so I think my, my closing thoughts on it are is that I, I think that Candyman is so... In, incredible at identifying so many interesting ideas and problems that are present in society and so and just playing them out and in, in the context of almost like real the real 1992 and so we see how 1992 responded to these problems and yet that's also the same reason why it's frustrating because it's addressing these problems within the system and in within the system that's deeply entrenched in systematic racism and inequality and thus that's why it can only be I can only like the film in spite of itself because it's it brings up so many interesting problems and areas to think about but ultimately I don't think that it goes far enough and it doesn't do an incredible job at uh, yeah, I don't know what I was going to say. It doesn't do an incredible job of something. <laughs> so following, I don't know. The, the end. <laughs> um, it, I, I don't know. I lost it. I totally lost it. <laughs> it was um, going somewhere beautiful. Um, yeah, when I, when I think about, about this film, the way for me that it works is by, as you said, acknowledging that it is somehow managing to simultaneously... Um, address and ignore the the big issues and and for me this film works if i think of it as itself an urban legend um that it, it doesn't it doesn't entirely have to make sense because urban legends are not about um they're about a, a type of cause and effect that is almost separate from 
from reality, right? Um, in the real world, if you go, you know, necking with your significant other um, in a parked car, someone with a hook is not going to kill you. Um, that, that's not how cause and effect works in the real world. But in urban legends, there's there's a whole different logic. It's like, of course, that's what would happen. Like the moment you hear that, you know, and then she invited a boy over and it wasn't the boy she was dating. You're like, oh, guess you yeah. deserve to die. Right. And, and, and I feel that this film succeeds because the entire time everything makes such logical sense only until you start to poke at it right um all it feels very dreamlike the entire thing and and i know a lot of people uh, a lot of students ask about the the ending right like how what are we supposed to do with the fact that now she's um candy man and or you know or helen right but but what are we supposed to do with the fact that she um is she going to terrorize the 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 black people who now kind of worship her um or is she going to only terrorize people on the other side of the tracks or was it just a one and done with trevor um and again i think it only makes sense if you treat it from that sort of urban legend logic of you know um everything is cyclical when one thing ends another thing will take its place always um that binaries simultaneously exist but are also broken um and and i think that's really interesting because i feel like i've criticized other films and i'm thinking particularly of jordan peele's us um i've criticized other films for i think trying to do something similar right trying to have that feel of like it's all these different layers but i think that Candyman just knew from the beginning that it was it was going to have this surreal creation um visually narratively um that i don't think films like us were successful at doing well that brings us to the end of our discussion of candy man uh we're going to be taking a bit of a departure next week we're going in a completely different direction than what we were talking about this time. We were going to be talking about Evil Dead 2. Although I would argue that one thing they have in common is that you have to like them almost despite themselves a little bit, right? Like Evil Dead 2, I like despite the fact that it's a, a more than a little goobery at times. <laughs> um, so, you know, so there's something to be said for, for that. But yes, please join us uh, for our next episode, Evil Dead 2. In the meantime, be sure to follow our social media pages, which are all in the description of this podcast. And go on to wherever you get your podcast and leave us a like and comment. It really helps us to expand our reach. And all, as always, share your po this podcast with your friends. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And whatever you do, don't repeat Candyman in front of the mirror tonight. You could do it four times, but don't push it with five. <laughs> <laughs>